And we're back, Stripe Show podcast on a Thursday. Hope you're having a great week out there. It's been a great week here on the podcast, and uh, it's just going to get better here on a Thursday. It's Instruction, Stripe Show podcast brought to you by Encore Golf. Encore designs high-performance golf balls for players of all skill levels and swing speed. Speaking of skill levels, we're going to go to one of the top skill levels in the game the coach of Sam Burns. And I just say that name on the podcast and everybody's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Travis Towton, Sam Burns. But just in case you didn't know, last week, Sam got his second win on the PGA Tour at Sanderson Farms in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, I want to talk about Sam Bird some more here on the podcast. So I reached out to his longtime coach, Brad Poland. Welcome back to the pod, my man. Appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Travis. Thanks for having me. Well, your boy is rolling, and uh, we're going to get into a little bit of a deep dive this time around um, on the podcast and get into some technique stuff that Sam works on in his swing and in his putting. But I want to start, actually, I want to start back with him not getting on the Ryder Cup. Now, I know Scotty Scheffler played well, but I was on the record saying, look, I would take Sam Burns over Scotty Scheffler because I think Sam Burns is the better player. He's long off the tee. He's a great iron player. He's a great putter, and that travels no matter where you're playing. But Scheffler did well. We got to give him credit. Sam didn't make it. Did that irk him a little bit? Is the Ryder Cup, President's Cup, getting on these teams a goal for uh, Sam? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it is for for all of these guys um, is the goal um, to be, um, you know, to automatically qualify first and then also to be picked. So it would be an honor to be on those teams. Um, you know, Sam was obviously a little bit disappointed this year, um, but, you know, you can't control those type of things. And um, the team was, you know, stacked this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know that it was a thing of one player getting picked over the other. And we don't really look at it that way. It's just, um, you know, motivated to, to continue to work on the process of what we're doing. And, and that's kind of where we are. So talk to us about Sam Burns, the player or, and, or the person here after his second win on the PGA tour and, this calendar season, his first win Valspar was May of this year. And then he goes to Sanderson farms five months later and gets his second win. Is there a difference or is he pretty much the same now after a second win relative to his first? I think, uh, anytime you win, you validate, um, what you're doing and, and and I think that that's obviously the case again this year um, with the second win um, is just as sweet as the first one um, is what I thought. And, uh, you know, I think it's just the level of confidence um, that you get from um, teeing it up and going out there and winning. Uh, and I think that's where um, it's probably gotten to. Uh, even more so now um, with the second one is mm-hmm. it, it just, it builds confidence and, and 
you can un- start to understand that, you know, I think one big difference is, is Sam doesn't think that he has to play perfect golf mm. now to, to win. And that, you know, I think he's talked about that a good bit is, you know, I, if I go out there and over the course of 72 holes and, and play my game, if it's good enough, then that's awesome. If, if it's not, then, then we'll get back after it and do it again. So. Yeah, you make a good point there because when I look at his two wins, and this is why I've been so bullish with Sam Burns, is to me, he has the game that fits the PGA Tour mold, which is, you know, he's a sufficient driver off the tee. He's long enough. He's not the longest, but he's long enough. He's a great iron player, which I think is paramount if you want to give yourself ample opportunities to win. He's one of the best iron players out there, stroke skin approach. He will chew you up. And he's a really good putter. He's a very solid putter. And you look at his two wins, Valspar, his stroke skin approach, he was plus 3.7. His stroke skin putting was plus nine. So he just absolutely crushes you with his putter there. And then he turns around five months later and wins a completely different way. He was negative two putting but he was plus 8.3 strokes hand approach. And I believe he was first tee to green. So when you have that kind of power and versatility in your arsenal, like you're going to give yourself a lot of opportunities to win. And that's when he comes out and I see his distance. I see how good of an iron player is. And I see how good of a putter is. You're willing to look past maybe some of the things and the opportunities in the short game that I know he's continuing to work on. And when he gets that, to be in the upper third of the PGA tour, the dude is going to win a dozen times, including major championships. So it's just kind of cool to see the versatility in his game and how he won Valspar um, versus Sanderson, Sanderson farms, because as you know, Brad, to me, like you just, if you lose two putting and you win, I mean, (laughs) that is incredible ball striking. Tina Crane. (laughs) My yeah, it's uh, it's off the charts ball striking in that event, uh, and 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 you know stats show that if you if you have that sort of putting where he ranked that week, then you don't, you don't win very often. Um, and that's just you know a testament to how how good he was tee to green. Um, yeah, we he's driving the ball great right now um, with a lot of confidence. We made a driver switch back at Northern Trust, I believe, um, and and really felt like we had something there. Um, and then the stats kind of proved that to kind of close the season. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, he just continued to do the same thing, the same thing at uh, Sanderson Farm. So when you drive it that well, it sets you up for where we feel like. Um, He's at his strongest as approach play, and especially when you're inside 150 and what he does with his wedges, and and so, yeah, proximity was great, and yeah, uh, and and he had tons of opportunities. It's just a little bit of, I mean, those greens there are so great at mm-hmm. uh, Country Club of Jackson, and they're the same greens that we have here at home, and he just felt like he just wasn't quite matching up the speed and the and the break there, and. But he was hitting great putts, which is um, which is encouraging. So, 
Yeah, strokes gain off the tee, to your point, Sanders and Farms, he was plus six, approach plus, um, as I mentioned, it was a plus 8.3. Um, yeah, that was his best driving week of the year uh, from mm-hmm. a strokes gain approach standpoint. And to your point, Northern Trust, he was four, then he went two and a half, one. So he's, yeah, he's driving a well. I mean, I, I mean, Let's just keep it going. You know, let's just win That's this right. week too and just go ahead and go back to back. I've been telling him, like, why wouldn't he win this week? I mean, he's playing great. He's hitting it better than anybody in the world. If he putts like he normally does, he'll probably win by five. <laughs> you know? oh, I love it. Let's talk about a swing because my audience um, loves some X's and O's and they right. love the coach speak. So we're going to put up some swings here as we kind of talk through this. And, you know, Sam's swing, when I look at it, in the backswing, here's what I see, and then you tell me if I'm off base and what the reality is with Sam's backswing and maybe some things that you work on. I see Sam working that club head up pretty quickly, right? You can see the club head kind of working up, and as he starts to turn the club head, you know, it's a little bit outside the hands, which... For our audience, I kind of pound the pavement for amateurs. I'm like, that. you need to look at that because the majority of amateurs, as you know, they'll take it back low and it'll get in behind the hands quick. And that's just like death, you know, from a development sure. standpoint. So I see the club head working up and then I see this turn, little change of knee flex, where then the lead arm works around him. How accurate is that versus maybe some of the things that you guys work on and that you'd like to see in a swing? Yeah, I think that's that's really on point. You know, we we focus a lot on um, his fundamentals and setup um, that allow him to be able to make that first move off of the golf ball whenever he takes it back. Um, not off laterally, obviously, but just the 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 club head working from setup uh, to P two range is what we look at to start, um, and then from there. As he's rotating, let the club work a little bit more vertically um, Mm -hmm. so that it can be more of a, it's a little bit more, we like to see it a little bit more steeper on the way back so that he can shallow coming down. Um, He has a tendency to want to get it a little bit too much in on the way back with some forearm roll uh, and then kind of back out across it. That's something that he hates, um, getting it moving too far left that way. So yeah, that's, that's, that's on point with what you said. Yeah. It's amazing. Like people listen to that and, and then they go back to, you know, some of the amateur swings that I'll post and some of the instructional videos that you'll post. And it's like, that's very relatable, right? It's like, okay, wait a minute. Sam Burns is working on, Club heads up and out in front of him. He's trying to get the shaft a little bit steeper going back so he can shallow it coming down. It's like, wait a minute. That's what I'm working on. You know? <laughs> no, and, and, but that's the reality, right? I mean, that's like the, now we know Sam Burns' skill level is through the roof, mm-hmm. but a player at that level can err with something as simple as a little forearm roll. Club head gets a little bit in and behind him. And then from there, the trickle down has a net has a negative effect on 
the rest of it, right? And because sure. he can't do what he wants to do comfortably from there based off that first move. And I just mm-hmm. kind of pound that point of that first move because it's so important to not only the development of an amateur, but for Sam Burns to do what he wants to do. So he gets the club head going correctly, the shaft steeper. It seems like with his turn, his change of knee flex, Brad, like that right hip, he's pretty mm-hmm. much done that his whole life, hadn't he? Uh, when he was younger, he didn't quite do that as much. He kind of okay. restricted a little bit. Um, and that's something that we probably did around. We looked at that a little bit more when he was like probably 18 years old um, and just not restricting and not kind of holding that flex. Um, just to help him with his tilts and his turn with what he's doing mm-hmm. at, at the top of the backswing. Um, so I would say, you know, it that's kind of evolved a little bit over the years. Um, and he doesn't hold that flex near as much as he used to. So that lead wrist at the top, when you look at it in 2D video, mm-hmm. it looks pretty flat, right? I mean, it looks flat, sure. maybe it even looks maybe a bit flexed. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that you layered in as well at some point where it was like, hey, Sam, let's get this a bit flatter at the top, maybe less extended, or is he, or has he pretty much always done that? He's always done that. Okay. Um, that was, that was kind of just the way he did it. And, and then he'll, you know, he'll get it flexed a little bit more coming down to get the face square. And, um, so that's kind of a natural move that he does. And, you know, preference wise, I mean, everybody has their preferences. I mean, I like to see that so you can get that face under control there. Yeah, let's talk about that because the flexion and the lead wrist coming down, it's taking on more flexion. Is that something that he's always done or did you have to kind of let no, that in? Yeah, he just kind of naturally does that. And your eyes, um, like your eyes had to just get like dollar signs. <laughs> Don't mess it up. That lead wrist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's a that's kind of a, a fad probably that's happened more and more over the years is that, you know, talking about wrist angles and being able to measure and, and you know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it definitely helps with the face control and um, being able to get some impact conditions that you can lean it and yeah. a little bit better there. So not that everybody that's listening needs tons of lean. Yeah. But I think just as a general statement, getting some flexion in the lead wrist coming down versus pulling down with extension is a huge difference in, you know, I mean, the average player. I know there's players at a high level, like a Phil Mickelson, that'll take some extension in that lead wrist down. And then they'll, they'll stand the shaft up a little bit, use their hands a little bit more, Stuart Sink. Yeah. And, and like, if that guy's showing up on your lesson tee, you're not going to change that. Like that's you're right. probably not. You're playing with fire nah. at that point. You know, it's so at some point in someone's development, amateur player, I don't know, maybe a, a professional at a certain time in their career, it, it, it might apply. But point being, when you flex the lead wrist a little bit coming down, you, you said it prepares the face, squares it. And maybe even some degrees for some, it might even kind of close it a little bit. Sure. And then from there, like 
the game gets easier because the shaft will tend to kind of pitch back shallow. The face now closes a bit more. And then you mm-hmm. think to yourself, well, wait, Sam likes to fade it, right? Like Sam likes to get a little peeler to the right. So in in one's mind, you would think, wait a minute, you just said flex the lead wrist. The shaft pitches back behind me and the face now is more closed, yet he fades it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So a fade, <laughs> a fade isn't coming from the face being open. The fade now would come from him rotating and moving that path to the left, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and I mean, we want the ball to start a little bit left so that it can fall a little bit right, especially, you know, that's what Sam's go to is with the driver. And so, um, we look a lot at the start direction and then we look next at the spin axis of the golf ball. So is the shape that you're wanting to hit it? Is it matching up with what the spin axis is giving us? And we don't like to see the spin axis get a whole lot outside of, I mean, four is kind of what we like to see. Mm. Um, so if it's falling to the right then it's four to the right, um, so, yeah, I mean, the path with the driver is somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three is kind of like where we like to see it. Um, and that's kind of where he is right now. So um, he can just trust that that's the shot that's going to match and and have a lot of confidence in that. So, Do you feel like you are constantly overshooting greens or coming up short because you choose the wrong club? Well, if that's the case today is your lucky day because I'm proud to announce my brand new partnership with the boys over at pinned golf. Their brand new ACE rangefinder is amazing. And it's only $199. I've been using it for a couple weeks now, and I was blown away with the quality. It has a slope technology pin locked vibration technology. So you know exactly when you are locked onto your target tour lever accuracy. And best of all, It is powered by a USB charge so you can forget about those little batteries every other rangefinder makes you buy. One 45-minute charge lasts you 50-plus rounds. I love it. Our friends over at Pin Golf are hooking up all of our listeners with $25 off and free shipping when you use code STRIPESHOW. That's code STRIPESHOW. I'm telling you, for $175, you simply cannot beat the ace rangefinder head out over to pingolf.com and get yourself the ace and get dialed in talk about what he works on now coming down so he's got the flexion in the wrist when i watch sam he i mean he obviously rotates like a champ i mean he's turning left i see the hands kind of exiting left mm-hmm. with the club face minimal rotation and the shaft kind of exits well under the lead shoulder with the face looking back towards that camera, right? A little bit like it's not, right. it's not flipped over. Is there, is there something that you guys work on there to kind of solidify some feels and turn or uh, some concepts to help him turn and stabilize the face where he's getting that slight fade to the right? Uh, I mean, we have over the years, um, you know, worked on making sure that he's extending through, um, extending the after spine. impact, extending the spine. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that the face stays a little bit more square. 
but um, you know, nothing, nothing of late. You know, I think you know for for everyone out there that is um, into golf swing stuff, I think so much occurs from what we see in two D, and and I think you know lag is really can be detrimental to someone improving because of you know someone wanting lag or they see in 2d that it looks like they have a lot of lag and it's just not necessarily the case when you measure some of the best ball strikers that are in the world um they just don't create tons of lag out of top or pull down or right you're talking about you know getting your wrist extension and and having to manage the face there from there and then swinging it way out to get the face closed and so you know i think you know you know something that we worked on with sam a little bit was to get his arms a little bit more down and not really pull down but just get his arms down so that he can get the face down and and be able to swing with the club a little bit more in front of him yeah it is behind you but it's the feel to keep your lead arm in a little bit more and mm-hmm. and not let it get so far out so yeah it's interesting I, you know i'll make this statement let me let me know how this this lands where it's okay if i flex the lead wrist coming down and get the face more closed it's easier to hit fades more mm-hmm. likely to see less hooks more fades but if i pull down and extend the lead wrist where the face is more open and oftentimes with the better players in amateurs, I see more hooks because they mm-hmm. they stand it up and they and they flip the face over. Yeah, they'll start tilting back and tilting back. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, no, no good there. I mean, golf's just freaking complicated. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, on it's the surface, just... on the surface, saying that statement, it's like, wait a minute, what did you just say? You know, and that's, yeah. that's part of, that's part of why I like, you know, articulating this stuff with, with other coaches is, you know, it's, um, you know, I get that question a lot. It's like, wait a minute, Burns is flexing, faces closing, DJ's flexing, faces closing, Brooks is flexing, faces closing, all these guys hit fades. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now you can hit a draw from there. Um, sure. But you know, I think the point is they're moving it with the path, not the face. They're not opening the face to hit a fade. Right. And I think and that's these guys, a, I mean, they move, they move so well that they can at the end of, you know, down there at the bottom, they can turn and rotate and get the, get the club X in the way they want to with a good path without having to be steep coming out of the top. And I right. think that that's what's important. Mm. Let's talk about his putting. Um, okay. Sam's putting. Talk to my audience. What does Sam do when he gets? It's a okay. So it's a tournament round today, Thursday. He is um, he's in Vegas, getting ready to play mm-hmm. Shriners. What's he going to do when he gets to the putting green? How does he get? How does he get himself ready to go? Uh, he's going to set up a station, uh, do um, hundred reps on chalk line uh, with. He'll put his putter down on the chalk line and match it up. Um, the, he's going to have a tee on each side, one on the hill, one on the toe, right at impact. Uh, and then he'll move his putter back along the chalk line and 
and put a couple more tees uh, out to the outside on the toe side um, just to help his path. He'll put another two tees out in front on the chalk line mm. that um, are for uh, start direction. And then uh, so he'll do reps on that just to, just to start. And then um, he'll work into like a right to lefter. Uh, left or rider, we've had different tools kind of over the years that help with start direction on those just so he can feel his face aimed where it needs to be. Uh, and then um, we always have a few uh, longer putts uh, on tournament days. Don't do a ton of lag putting on regular practice days, but uh really the focus is more inside 10 feet on the regular practice days, but mm. um, he'll do a couple of, uh, you know, longer putts, uh, put a tee out in front of the hole. Uh, Travis's caddy will put that out there. Uh, alignment stick behind the hole uh, at probably two feet and then hit three in a row that are kind of in that zone. And then he'll move back 10 feet, do that again, and then move back 10 feet, do three more. So, um, that just for speed for the day, um, on longer putts, but yeah, that's it on the putt. Let me ask you about his, his stroke. And when I, when I watch his stroke, it looks longer back, shorter throat. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's just say it's a two to one ratio. Let's doesn't have to be exact. Let's just say it's okay. It's double the amount going back versus coming through. Are we seeing more of that technique? Do you think in the modern game versus when you first got into teaching or, or is it pretty much been the same? And am I accurate with looking at Sam saying, yeah, it is. It's definitely longer back, shorter through. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something we monitor. Um, and we want to see that it's, you know, getting close to matching up. Um, but you know, I don't know what, um, I don't look, um, I haven't seen, I guess, um, a lot of guys that would be, um, I, I don't see a lot of guys that are definitely longer through. Yeah. Um, right. So, right. It, it seems like, it seems like it's more taught in the modern game. I think it's always been out there and we've known about it. I can go back to when I first got into teaching. I was, I would say in the first few years, more one-to-one -one, probably under sure. that influence and maybe even probably a bit longer through. And there are good putters, obviously, that are longer through. There's always yeah. outliers. We know that. I mean, it's, there's always examples of everything. Lydia Coe is a beautiful putter, and she's longer coming through. Um, but you look at, it just seems more obvious in today's players, like Patrick Cantlay. Um, Mm-hmm is the most exaggerated, at least in my eyes. Jordan Spieth has putted like that. Um, right. You know, JT's got it. Tiger did. And there's so many benefits of it. And it's interesting, and I, and I make this point for, our, for the audience, because if I was doing a seminar and if I asked a question, if I said, okay, in putting, you want to take it back on this length putt, let's say six inches, and then through 10. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to take it back 10 inches and through six? And I think most would say the first way. 
because sure. it would suggest the longer follow through equals acceleration, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is when I'm watching today's putters and I watch Sam, I see a putter head that kind of loads the energy going back with pace of the putter head and length of backstroke. And then it looks more cruise control to this little more abbreviated finish where this putter head has just a little bit of a release. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, is there something with, with Sam that when you watch his setup and stroke that you're always kind of looking at, like making sure uh, that he's doing this or a bad habit that he might fall into? Yeah. Um, you know, we look at obviously looking at fundamentals and setup and making sure that all that checks out. Um, I think, for him, some sort, you know, for anyone, feedback with a mirror or something that you can check every day, um, that you can stay on top of that those fundamentals, mm-hmm. and so they don't get so far off. Some of my guys that I coach that don't use some sort of feedback, or they're not doing a chalk line every day or something like that, then they'll get you know, a yard off when we could have caught it a lot earlier. Uh, something as simple as, Hey, you know, I just got to make sure that my eyes get to where we want to get them to in my stroke over the golf ball. Um, so that's always something we look at. Um, also like, I, I think it's important to with everyone is like, I, I don't love like rocking the shoulders. Um, because the face doesn't naturally, I like preference-wise to see it, you know, pretty square to the arc. Mm-hmm. And anytime that we rock our shoulders, um, that's not a great, I guess it's a give and take. If someone rotates a bunch and they need a little bit more of that motion, then that's good for them. But I just think that, you know, like if you watch Sam and face on, um, it's his upper body rotates and moves and powers the stroke um, sort of against his lower body. It's not a rocking of the shoulders. And his left his left arm, his lead arm, will, um, will kind of work a little bit more around him. Um, and that is, in my opinion, where he's gotten off in the past is that that lead arm will kind of work out away from his body, not working around it. In the, in the backstroke. Uh, in the, in the through stroke, in the whenever through he stroke. finishes. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. So, so I like to see it more road rotation than a lot of rocking. Right. Right. Like almost, yeah. Like, a, like almost like a, just a real subtle golf swing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, when I watch, when I'm, I'm looking at a stroke right now and, and like when he comes through, what I love is that it's, it's almost like, you know, when he hits it, it's that shorter finish and the putter head just kind of gently just kind of drifts past the lead wrist, right? To that little mm-hmm. short or shortish finish, right? And it's like almost like... Um, I call it the catcher's mitt. It's like, you know, the putter head's coming in with that even pace. And then the, and then the hands kind of stop there at that shorter finish. And as they stop, that putter head just kind of just gently swings past. Yeah, just gently releases there. Yeah, just gently releases. He's not, 
Like he's not like pulling his left shoulder way back. No. You know, but there is a subtle little left shoulder there. It's like a mini, like you said, it's a mini, mini golf swing. And the movements are very subtle and small there. How light does he hold it? Uh, Really light. <laughs> it looks like it looks like it's like a, a yeah. feather. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting. I mean, he he really it does look very, very light in his hand. Mm hmm. And his head stays just perfectly centered to that release or to that catcher's bit. There's no backup in his stroke at all. Yeah, and I, th I think that's where majority of AMs get in trouble is with the rocking of the shoulders. You know, the head just moves all mm -hmm. over the place. Yeah, I can show you a really good example of that with my putting stroke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, it's, it's really like you get people set up really good, and then you kind of get them – just dialed in a little bit with the shoulders and then you get them kind of dialed into that little release there. And it's, you know, all of a sudden you get that ball starting online. Um, you know, and then from there you can start loading the energy of the putter head going back longer putts, but setup fundamentals are huge. Do you like in the, in the setup, do you like the forearm soft and kind of mirroring the putter shaft plane? Yes. Okay. Uh, from down the line, I like that for most guys. Um, yeah. You know, everybody's a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, if you can get, um, if AMs can mimic um, setup of pros and putting, they'll be fifty percent of the way there at least. Yeah. See, I think I think Sam's putting is a really good example for amateurs to look at. Um. Mm -hmm. Really good. I mean, just the way he sets up to it, you know, he, he doesn't set up too far from it. You know, he, he, you know, he's got adequate hip hinge, his hands are under his shoulders, his wrists look just, they're not slightly unhinged, but there's a, you know, there's a little more of that. So his elbows can kind of get underneath him. So the forearms match. And then, mm -hmm. you know, from there, I just think the stroke itself being a little longer back, shorter through pacing of it the release like just it's a really good just example i think of kind of watch this get in there and try to mimic that like you're probably going to be moving in the right direction now, i know there's always outliers and different things but at some point you kind of have to hang your hat on yeah I, I like that i like this you know and right for me i like this i like what i see with with sam's putting and can't lay and um, you know, speed, left hand low, but forms are still there. The struggle. I, I like that. And I, and I find myself when I'm working with amateurs, like that's where they need to move more towards. Now, sometimes, yeah, it's too far back and too short through, you know, sometimes you can get into those situations, but more times than not, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm moving them this way. I don't, more times than I see amateurs where their forms don't match. Um, yeah, they typically don't. Right. I see the back up in the head. I see longer or I see shorter backswings really slow with more power coming through. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been told to accelerate. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cruise control, right? I like that. Cruise yeah, control. Well. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, I could talk to you forever, but I, uh, <laughs> you know, I know you're, um, you're back in Louisiana, right? Brad's ready to go in Vegas or, or not, or, uh, Sam's ready to go in Vegas and you're back in Louisiana. I'm sure you got a full lesson day and your phone's ringing off the chart. So I, I appreciate you uh, making time for me and 
you know, I'm a big fan of you and Sam, and I'll just, uh, I'll keep pounding the pavement. You tell Sam in the off season, he's got to come on here and talk to me. Yeah, I will do it for sure. <laughs> I appreciate your, uh, I appreciate your support of Sam and, and it's always great coming on and, and catching up with you, Travis. So Hi, buddy. We appreciate it. You bet. Brad Poland, longtime coach, Sam Burns. Thanks for joining us on the podcast tomorrow. Sam, uh, Sam, not Sam Burns, but Samantha, your host, uh, Marks will have Taylor Pendeth on the podcast who, uh, another good young player from Canada, another guy that bombs it out there and can putt. So that'd be good. All right, guys, thanks for joining us on the pod. We'll, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest Gold-Rated Elixir and Low Compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.